Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, February 16, 2017, and we are reading from the big book. We are on page 7, uh, the second paragraph. Today's readers are Lisa M. on the 12 Steps. Esther F. on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Katie G., Hoodie R., and Carolyn F. H. The reference number for yesterday's meeting, February 15, 2017, is 9600. Our newcomer greeter today is Amanda R., and our hostess for the second meeting is Nadia B. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Leslie M. to read the 12 steps of OA. Good morning, Kathy Kay. Thank you for your service. This is Leslie M. reading the 12 steps, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, 
we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do service, and I pass. Thank you, Leslie M. Esther F., would you please read the 12 traditions? Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everybody. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland. The 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except when ma- in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from my primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther F. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass and then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page seven, uh, the first full paragraph, which begins my brother-in-law. And I will ask Katie F to get us started. Katie G, I'm sorry, Katie G to get us started. Thank you, Katie. Good morning, Kathy. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, guys. It's Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic in Boston. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation 
groups of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. Good morning, everyone. Recovered, anorexic bulimic, compulsive reader. Yay, this is so exciting. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess how many times did I have to go to therapy? And, you know, I believe that therapy and medications all have their own place. I'm not, I'm not here to put that down. But I remember sitting in the therapy office with my dad and, you know, my dad was a well-known physician in the Boston area, and he got me the best psychiatrist. And the best psychiatrist said to me, you know, you are sick, but let's ramp you up with all these medications, and as long as you get these medications, you're going to be okay. And, um, you know, my will was amazingly weakened, but what I loved that it says, it's like, yeah, I, I'm a, gosh, I'm a willful girl. Like, try and get in my way and and watch out but like with this food thing man i can't handle it like i'm starving and i'm binging and i'm purging and i'm exercising and i'm sitting there discussing incredible behavior like why katie you have the best psychiatrist the best psychologist like what are you doing you know and um and then being like, yep, I understand myself now. So I fared forth in high hope. I, I'm, I'm good, right? Like, I got it, guys. Like, got to stay away from the food. Got to just moderate the exercise. No laxatives. Self-knowledge. So uh, not, knowledge of my capabilities, my characters, my who I am. Like, and I, I had hope, right? I, I thought that I could do it. And thank you, God, today that I know, you know, that next paragraph, the frightful day is going to come. It's going to come because no amount of understanding myself has ever changed me. And I find that, like, um, until I surrendered and realized I can't do this, like, I'm an idiot. Like, I know that shoving 4,000 calories into my body and then throwing up, guys, I know that that's not a really great way as an adult of dealing with the fact that things didn't go very well when you were a little kid. I know that that's not a good way. I understand it. But knowing is not going to work. Um, and I love this reference of the goose hung high. I guess in the 1800s, there was a superstition. If the goose were low, it was evil. But if the goose were high, it was good to go. So, like, how many times, and I have to say in my last 30 seconds, even now, right, like, even now, like, oh, my gosh, Katie just recovered for today. Like, I'll get this knowledge. Like, being selfish with your husband is not a good way to go, Katie G. Like, thank you, God, you're not eating, but, like, you've got to love him. And no amount of understanding my character defects changes me. Who changes me? What changes me? Entire abstinence, surrender, and God. And I am not, I am weak. God is strong. And until I do that each and every day, I'm out of luck. So I'm going to keep walking shoulder to shoulder with you guys. I love it. And uh, let's do it one more day. And I pass.
Thank you, Katie G. Who would like to share on these? Harlan G. Larry R. Tina S. Amanda R. Kim G. Okay, let me tell you who I have. I think I missed a few. Um, I have Harlan G, Nessa R, Larry K, Amanda R, and Kim G. Who else? Paula D. Tina S. Paula D, Tina S, and there was one other I didn't hear. Vasa O. Okay, that's it for now, and we'll, we'll have time for more. So, Harlan G., please go ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you for your service, Kathy. And thank you to Team Thursday for everything that you do. We have a very, very important turn of events here on page 7. We are seeing the hand of God. We are seeing the constellations of recovery start moving into the universe. It says here, my brother-in-law is a physician. This would be Dr. Leonard Strong, who was married to Bill's sister, Dorothy, and Leonard was one of the people who liked Bill all through the all through the drunken ranges. He's also going to rear his important head throughout the history of the writing of the book. He's going to bring Clarence Snyder into play. He's going to be uh, part of the Alcoholic Foundation, but that's for another time. And through his kindness and that of my mother. Now, his mother became an osteopathic physician in Boston, Massachusetts after the divorce. And he was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Now, let's take a look at what's going on here quickly. Of all the places that they could have put Bill, they put him in the town's hospital in New York City, and he is now going to come under the care of Dr. William Duncan Silkworth. So of all the places he could have gone and of all the doctors he could have been under the care of, he is going to come under the care of our great medical benefactor, William Duncan Soapworth. And it says, under the so-called Belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Belladonna was a drug that they used like Valium today. It fooled the body into thinking there was alcohol in it. It says, best of all, I met a kind doctor, Soapworth who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily, the allergy, mentally, the twist. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. Bill was a very successful person. He could not understand for the life of him, nor could Lois, why someone as strong-willed and as intelligent as Bill Wilson, why he could not control his intake of liquor. And it says here, my incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. I wanted to stop eating Almond Joy bars, but I couldn't. And I ate a lot of Almond Joy bars to kill the pain of eating Almond Joy bars. It's just understanding myself now. Now that he knows from so forth what's wrong with him, he says, I fared forth in high hope for three or four months to Goose Hung High. Goose is a, is a symbol of prosperity. And when the Goose Hung High, that means you're in a prosperous situation. Now, he goes into the hospital. It's 1933. 
we're going to learn tomorrow that in 1934, after one year, he's going to be back in the hospital, flat on his keister. He says, I went to town regularly and even made a little money. So things are starting to get better. Things are starting to improve just a little bit. He's not drinking, but he's not in recovery. That won't come till page the bottom of page eight. It says, surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. And we'll find out tomorrow where he goes on self-knowledge. So you better not miss tomorrow's episode. Same bad time, same bad channel. See you tomorrow. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Nessa R., please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Nessa R., recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. So he had a desperate desire to stop, and, and so did I. And I did stop many times, as did Bill. You know, although by this time he's so far gone into the alcoholism that he's even giving up uh, and giving in to the disease, not even making attempts to stop anymore. Uh, but I also stopped, you know. Uh, and there were times when I really stuck when I really stuck to my diet really, really well. I mean, like I did it perfectly and I even lost weight. The problem was that that didn't last for very long. I mean, sometimes it did even last until I lost the weight that I wanted to lose. But then once I got to go weight, once I fit into that dress, once I went to that party, you know, I started to eat all over again and the weight came back on and then, and then some and then some. So the problem for me was not that I, 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 I couldn't stop, it was that I couldn't stay stopped. And here Bill learned about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. Dr. Solkworth told him what the problem is, but you know, knowing what the problem is doesn't solve the problem. Knowledge helps understand the problem, but it doesn't really solve the problem. I mean, I went to so many nutritionists um, that I, I know the Canada's food guide by heart, um, you know, and I can give uh, nutrition advice, but I couldn't apply it on myself, you know, because what Bill was lacking was the solution. And I was in the rooms of OA for nine years practicing or trying to practice abstinent and getting abstinent but not being able to stay abstinent until I really understood, of course, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind but the solution, the solution which was a spiritual experience um, to which I would be awakened by working the steps according and exactly to the big book, as outlined here in the big book. And it wasn't until I did that uh, about six years ago, five and a half years ago, that I actually was able to stay stopped. Uh, and that, that, I think, is the crux of the matter. And we're going to be reading, as Harlan said, in the, in the following pages. Um, but it's not only enough to stop. We need to know how to stay stopped. And only a higher power can help us there. Um, and the working of the steps is the means by which I accomplish that. And I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. Larry K., please go ahead. Larry, I can't hear you. Press star one. Thanks, Kathy. Can you hear me okay? Yes, thank you. Okay, thanks so much. Larry K., Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. So, um, 
Yeah, the you know here we we learn about uh, about his brother-in-law, Dr. Strong, and Harlan mentioned a little bit about Dr. Strong. Um, you know, at the time, uh, Lois was earning uh, about twenty-two dollars and fifty cents a week at Macy's, and she turned to her. It was about three hundred dollars a week today in today's dollars, and she turned to her brother-in-law, Dr. Leonard Strong, um, who arranged for to pay for Bill's first admission to Towns Hospital. And Bill, of course, was subjected to the, to the Belladonna cure, and that was, you know, involved purging and puking and aided by, among other things, castor oil and uh, Belladonna hallucinogen. It was used to ease the symptoms during withdrawal. And the thing about it is, is Bill still had an untreated condition. It was the first you know, entry, he was, this was divine in nature, I believe. He, he was moving towards a solution, but right now he was still untreated, the, 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 the deeper condition. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that Bill would continue to experience that, that buildup of normal human emotion, mostly in his case, fear. He was an anxious, depressed sort of guy. That dust is going to get kicked up more, and Bill's character defects are operationalized just like ours, fear, selfishness, ambition, dishonesty, and the like. And it's like what we're going to see is Bill goes from like DEFCON 5, the least severe alert, to DEFCON 1, the most severe. And these series of alerts, ever increasing, are going to move us closer and closer and closer to the donuts, and in Bill's case, to the alcohol. And, and you know, for me... I can't stay in DEFCON 1 for long before being catapulted into a sea of pudding and pizza and the like. And nor can you if you're like me. And these series of alerts we're going to see with Bill ever increasing are going to move him closer and closer to his alcohol. And unless Bill experiences an entire psychic change, he's going to be biologically mandated to drink himself to death. And that's, ex that's exactly what Dr. Soakworth is going to tell his wife that he's doing. And some of us are biologically mandated to eat ourselves to an early grave. And I, and I have tr a tremendous amount of synthetic knowledge about myself. You may as well. But that's dangerous for a guy like me because that knowledge can't change my biology. No amount of knowledge can change that biological mandate that will drive me back again and again to that sea of pudding and pizza. So um, we'll see more, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Amanda R., please go ahead. Good morning. This is Amanda R. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. And... Uh, yeah, that, that bit about self-knowledge, I was trying to think before the meeting, like, what's a good illustration for this? And I, I thought of something that happened to a good friend of mine last week where uh, he just he wasn't feeling well. He's just really run down and can't get out of his own way, but he, he goes to work anyway. He's, he's a trooper, and that that's that's awesome. But his boss perhaps has a little more sense than he does and says, you look like death. Go to the doctor and then go home. And um, so he goes to the doctor, and um, they tell him, check him up, and said he has pneumonia. And he's like, okay, self-knowledge. No wonder he feels like death. He's walking around with his, you know, uh, he's just 
got this disease. And so they give him prescriptions, for the antibiotics, say, you know, inhaler, et cetera, go home. And um, so he, he's got self-knowledge. Now he knows what the problem is. And now Bill has self-knowledge. He knows at least half of what the problem is. Um, but the thing is, if my friend doesn't go and fill that prescription for antibiotics and, you know, take them as prescribed, um, all the self-knowledge in the world is not going to get him any better. Um, he has to follow through on the treatment, and that's kind of like me as a compulsive overeater. Like, it's great to understand the reason I can't stick to a diet, the reason my weight just goes up and up and up, the reason I eat so crazy is because I once I start, once I have a little bit, my body is just like this this charging rhinoceros wanting more and more. So there's my self-knowledge, but I in myself don't have the power to fix that. Just like my friend in himself, he can't fix his pneumonia. He needs, you know, I'm not sure the antibiotics are a power greater than himself, but he's certainly feeling a lot better now. Um, and so the steps for me are my, my antibiotics. I, I, I'm I, like a, a, you know, a lamp that's not plugged in. No matter how many times you flip the switch, I'm not going to have the power to do anything unless I plug into that power greater than myself. And, um, yeah, so I just encourage people to to look beyond abstinence, to look to the steps, because just trying abstinence alone is a very discouraging and ultimately, for most of us, pretty fruitless way to go if you're an addict. So um, there's a lot of hope, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Amanda R. Kim G., please go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. It relieves me, relieves me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other areas. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate, desperate desire to stop was explained. You know, I have to tell you, I got my master's degree in relapse. I can make some stuff happen in other areas of my life. But in, in, when it came to this food thing, you know, I used to create red lines. I mean, this, I don't know if you guys can relate into this, but I would say, okay, well, at 16, I'm going to do something about this weight. But then I would turn 16, I'd go, no, 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 I think I'm going to, I'm going to do it at 18. And then at 18, I'd say, no, 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 maybe when I turn 21 and I go out to the bars, that's when I'll change. Or I pick a weight. When I get to 150, I'm going to do something about this. No, 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 it's 180. No, it's 200. I mean, that's what I would do to give myself this false sense of, yeah, I can do something if I want to. But then at the age of 23, when I was really feeling bad, my knees were hurting me, I was getting short of breath, I was sure I had some, like, tropical, you know, unusual disease, and I went to the doctor, and what he diagnosed me with was morbid obesity. Morbid obesity, that was my diagnosis. I mean, of course, I, I did something then, right? No. You know, I didn't realize I couldn't stop. At that point, I was baffled because I had a diagnosis that told me I had to stop, and I still couldn't stop. So you would think that's when I came into OA, right? No. I decided that that bulimia that I was taught in college, I was going to get good at that. And I came into OA four years later when I got down to the size 14, which I thought would make me happy, and I was more insane in my bulimia than I ever had been in my obesity. Because there were periods when I was sober and feeling untreated compulsive overeating at its most. And when I come into OA, 
What I do is focus on a food plan and think that food and weight is my problem, and I'm chasing that food plan. I diet down to a size two where I'm losing my period and my hair is falling out, and I'm still wondering why am I not okay? So when I came into a meeting that told, with people whom the problem had been solved, I was relieved to learn what Dr. Silkworth is telling them. That I, yes, I, I'm seriously ill bodily and mentally. I have this allergy of the body which will never change, and I have this mental twist that will always convince me to go back to the foods that I don't eat, that, I, that, I, that will kill me. For the saying I love, it says, the truth shall set you free, but first it's going to piss you off. And I'm very grateful for the people and the meetings that I attended that were willing to tell me the truth, which once I surrendered to this process, did the steps, and got on the other side of step 12, I became free, absolutely free. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Paula D., please go ahead. This would be Paula D. Thank you, Kathy, for the opportunity here to speak. Paula D. recovered uh, with and by the grace of God and currently in Florida. As we look at these paragraphs, I'm thinking of what comes into place. And there is a saying, and I'm going to repeat it here, on Carl Jung's gravestone. And what it says is, invoked or not, God is present. Can you see it here? He's not even calling on God. But look at what's coming into play. His brother-in-law is a physician. Wait, kindness of his mother? Being put in a hospital? Wait again. I met a kind doctor. Look at what is happening here. What is falling into place? And this part here, understanding myself now, I feared forth in high hope. The man's at the bus stop and he's getting on that bus. Have you been there? I've seen the people that God has put in my life. I take a look now and I see them differently. But this part, he's on the bus stop. But he got off at the wrong bus, the the wrong stop. He didn't stay on the bus. See, he went along with And here we know what is always, always the root, the root of this disease. Self, there it is. Well, I know. I've heard. Oh, I've heard many things. But, you know, we often hear in this thing, we could could talk the talk, but we couldn't walk the walk. Well, I guess Bill could identify with that also. And he could hear it, but he couldn't apply it. It did no good. To have all that self-knowledge. But we're going to go on here. Because as I said, invoked or not, God is present. So we will continue on as Bill will. And we can look at our lives and be grateful for who God put in them. And I thank you and this meeting. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. Tina S., please go ahead. Thanks, Kathy. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Reader in Rexic in Florida. Good stuff. Uh, well, you know, uh, you know, I too agree with it that this was all uh, divinely inspired and uh, created for sure um, for our ancestors and uh, for the pioneers today. Uh, you know, I uh, I remember the first time I ever heard that there was some kind of solution for what was going on with me. I was 
like taken within two weeks from my home to a treatment center in Florida. I'm, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. And, and they offered me the solution. It was the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I was not able to hear the dilemma, which, you know, I know today is lack of power. But back then, I thought it was my food. So, uh, therefore, you know, I'm uh, pretty strong-willed. Um, I have a mission, and I'm going to be on it. And then I got self-knowledge. There you have it. You know, and until I was able to exhaust all of my ideas, you know, they offered me that solution. I just thought, you know, I know better. Hey, you know, when I left there, I, I had a, a food plan and I was able to eat uh, four times a day when before all I could do was either binge or not eat at all. So I thought, this is wonderful, you know, and, and what happened was, you know, I went home and I was like, okay, let's go, Tina, let's do this thing. And until I was beaten to a place of, you know, reasonableness and powerlessness and knowing that on my own I couldn't do anything, was I able to even um, have an opportunity again to be in recovery and that, you know, self-knowledge failed us, you know. And, and, and today I am really looking to a power greater than myself. I'm able to trust and rely on something other than me and um, therefore, I have the opportunity one day at a time to have a, a life beyond my wildest dreams. And so with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina F. <clears throat> Vasa O, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Kathy, for your service. I'm a, I am grateful, recovered, compulsive, overeater calling from Florida. Yes, self-knowledge. I use self-knowledge. For my by my own willpower to put the to put the food down for years and years before I came to over Eaters Anonymous. I mean, I read all kinds of books, and I I could have been a nutritionist. I knew I had all the knowledge, but I couldn't put the food down because I was using my own power, my own strength, you know. And uh, no, I didn't go to to rehab the hospitals. But I have heard people uh, share that yes, they went and they were they were introduced to the big book, and they knew exactly what to do. I had a woman that um, I took care of her child, and uh, I took her to a few meetings, and she still struggled with the food addiction. She wasn't ready. She wasn't ready, and I was so ready, and I was just so willing because I didn't want to die, and. Uh, and my sponsor said, um, the only way, Vasa, is to surrender, to surrender to God with, your, with the food and your life and my will. And I was terrified. I know we're not in step three, you know, but and that was the only thing. I was just so, so desperate, you know. I had the gift of desperation. And I read all the psychology books, How to Better My Life, it, not with just for the food, you know, looking for the, that perfect diet, I was just looking how I can fix my marriage, how we can have a better marriage, you know. So I, it's not that into exploration, but it was all done by my, my, by my own power, by my self-knowledge. I did not know I could turn to a higher power greater than myself, and I'm so grateful that I came and this book was handed to me. And I was ready to hear the solution, especially the doctor's opinion, the allergy of the body, the mental obsession, and I needed to put the food down before I worked the steps. So before I do anything in my life, 
I needed to have the clarity. And thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Kathy, star one, please. Sorry, I was muted. This is Kathy Kay. Thank you, Vatsa O. Who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? Melissa Jane, yeah. Leah M. Nancy R. Sally A. Okay. Yeah, Wait a sec. Um, okay, Melissa C., Leah M. Um, sorry, I didn't get the others. Sally A. Sally A. Who was that? I'm sorry. Al. Who was that? Laura. Laura. Do Al. Have you do? Um, and okay. could everyone please mute because there's some background noise. So I have Melissa C, Leah M, Sally A, Do L, Mara Z. Let's go with those, and then we'll see what else we have time for. Um, Melissa C, please go ahead. Hi. Good morning, Kathy Kay. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, you know, um, for so long, my question was always, like, why? Why am I like this? Why am I like this? Why can't I stop? And, you know, um, I heard here, I think, someone had said, you know, when you're asking why, what you're really saying is, I don't like this. And um, and that is the truth. You know, I see it in my kids. When they ask me why, why do I have to do this, they don't really want to know why. You know, they just don't want it. And that's that's truthfully how it's been for me. I, I thought that having my why answered would somehow um, make it magical, you know, that, that the problem would disappear. But that's not what happened for me, you know. All the time I um, kept trying to figure it out, why am I like this, why am I like this, um, you know, self-knowledge was not, was not the answer to, to get me recovered. Um, in fact, I think one of the most, like, horrible things in some way is when we get um, the the education about what we're up against, but we don't get what the real treatment is. And so um, knowing that I needed to stay away from, you know, food, that that certain foods were causing an allergic reaction to me, I mean, that was the first bit of information I got, that... I, you know, somehow have this crazy blind spot when it comes to food, and I can't control myself. So at that point, I thought, okay, food is the problem. Then I just won't eat those foods. Um, but in a way, that all that did was ruin my binges. And so I had to eat a lot more to blot out the consciousness of the pain of what I was doing because within a few bites, I was – I knew I was setting something crazy in motion, and so then I had to eat extra, you know, so that I could sort of um, blot out the intolerable situation. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, like everybody here, I'm the queen of diets. I know everything there is to know about nutrition and healthy guidelines with eating, but that never gave me the ability to live 
within those parameters, you know, knowing that certain foods create an allergic act reaction in me was not enough to keep me from picking them up again, you know. I needed the spiritual solution. And so, yeah, at this point, um, Bill's feeling really confident. He's got it. But we know, you know, just like all of us have experienced that um, that's not enough. You know, knowing what I had was not enough to get me to get me recovered. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Leah M., please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy. Well, the disease is doing what it does best, and, uh, you know, it's certainly cornering Bill here um, because now he has the information. You know, my incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. You know, a great illustration that, um, you know, the real alcoholic is going to be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. And that's true for compulsive overeating as well. I mean, Bill certainly has um, the necessity, and he certainly has the wish. And now he even has um, some information about the condition of his illness, and yet that's not enough. I mean, he's dying of malnutrition. His body is deteriorating. He's getting worn out. Uh, you know, he is, is essentially, uh, you know, at death's door. So, you know, here comes the information, and that's going to do it. But, you know, the text teaches that despite the necessity or the wish, we have an utter inability to leave it alone. And, you know, that is important information uh, to know, and that certainly was my experience that, you know, I had to get beaten to a bloody pulp by this illness to realize that, yes, there was a solution, there was a way out, but it was not going to be through the intellect. It's not material. It's not physical. Yes, I have to put down the food. Yes, I have to have entire abstinence before embarking on a spiritual journey. But <laughs> but mere physical abstinence isn't going to be enough. It's not a human solution. It's going to be in the fourth dimension beyond materiality, beyond the intellect. It's in the world of the spirit. It's a relationship with a power greater than myself. And... You know, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. And I tried every road until this disease cornered me to such a degree that, um, you know, I just <laughs> had to throw my hands up and, and uh, you know, give myself over to someone in whom the problem had been solved to guide me uh, through the instructions that would leave, lead me out and, uh, you know, who taught me and reinforced that when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Um, Sally A., please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you for your continued service to all of us. Good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally A. in New York, and by the grace of God, recovered. And I'm really happy to have an opportunity to share on this line with all of you about these words, self-knowledge. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge, because for sure, this is where I was for a long time. Lots of self-knowledge, lots of clear understanding, and I was very focused and fixated on this beautiful book, this big book, 
which I myself personally call the Bible for dummies, because it honestly brings it down away from all the abstract and brings us to the hardcore issue of becoming connected with our higher power. And for a long time, I had this thought swirling around in the back, the backdrop of my mind. But aren't we here studying this book so that we can have more and more knowledge? Aren't we studying this book so that we understand better what we're dealing with? I mean, yeah, we're understanding that step 1A, we have to put the food down so we can think clearly. But beyond that, really, what are we doing here? And the book does tell us, gives us some clear-cut answers. But ultimately, what I've come to know more recently in these last six weeks of, of abstinence and more importantly, working these steps in a very different way, working them where I'm not focused on the knowledge in my head, but chewing on the words of the steps and bringing it to my heart. And that's what had to happen. It had to go from my head, self-knowledge, to my heart. What I had to learn was it's all about growing my connectedness to my higher power, growing my relationship with my higher power, becoming more connected with people, being present, connected to myself. The first time I'd looked in the mirror into my own eyes and talked to myself, getting more connected with me. And that's what I think this is about. That's the whole point. Yes, it tells us that it's about relationship with our, our higher power. But I'll just end with this. What I've learned is that, yes, the self-knowledge is in my head, but the most important is the connecting with my higher power in my heart. That is what yields recovery. Thanks for letting me share. With that I pass. Thank you, Sally A. Uh, L. please go ahead. Sorry. Good morning. Um, this is Duell, Recover Compulsive Overeater from New York. Thank you so much. Um, I absolutely love what Dr. Silkworth had to say to Bill. As when Bill tried all these uh, different methods, you know, to recover, and he went into the hospital, and he tried the Baladana and the exercise, and and uh, the doctor said, you know, you're bodily and mentally different. I don't think Bill really got that, you know. He thought he did. He thought he did. Um, but in reality, you know, um, when it says self-knowledge here, um, the self-knowledge is, you know, if I think I know the answer, then I know I can control it. That's how it equates for us compulsive overeaters because, you know, um, we have a, a body and a mind that's abnormal. That's what the doctor said. We have a body. We must believe that our bodies and our minds are abnormal. That means I'm not going to think like the average Joe. I'm not going to eat like the average Joe. I'm not going to do anything like the average Joe. Um, so that means that my mind is affected. And on page 23, it tells me how my mind is affected, right? Um, my mind is affected in the sense that I will make every form of alibi, justification, excuses, rationalization, and lie to myself to tell myself something that's not there. Tell myself um, something that's not true, right? Um, and that for me equals the self-knowledge. It is the self-will 
the self-determination, the self-reliance that I fall on myself. And, and so does that work? Well, in Bill's story, it says it didn't. You know, even when things were getting better, even when the goose hung high, right? When the evil spirits had, had that period of, of stage had gone away and he thought, I'm getting this now. I, I'm smart. I, I can read books. I, I can intellectualize. But you know that if you have a mind of a chronic alcoholic compulsive overeater, it's not going to work. Um, because we have to understand we're different. We're not like normal people. And so this this story is like reiterating that, that self-knowledge for us does not work because we already come from a mental position that we're not right. <laughs> so we need to get right. We need get to get right and know who we are as compulsive overeaters, that I am different and I need to do things differently. And the only solution that's given us here is this book, this experience, to have a way out, you know, and it's not going to come through me. It's not going to come through my thoughts because my thoughts got me to where I'm at in OA. You know, my thoughts got me to compulsive eating. So let's try something different. Let's try to see those that have journeyed before us and have gotten the way out so that we also can have that way out. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Do L. Mara Z, please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for your service this morning. Mara Z recovered in Virginia. For three or four months, the goose hung high. So a couple of years ago, I was introduced to this meeting. I had been in the program for... 12 years at that point, 10 years, whatever it was. Um, and I knew what the answer was. I knew I had to be abstinent. And that was going to be everything for me, except that it didn't. Because all that did was make me bleeping crazy. And I was white knuckling it all the time. And there was no real peace in my life. So then. I heard about this meeting, and I come and I listen. And you guys are talking about the big books. And I just happened to have my first meeting when you guys were in the doctor's opinion. And I heard things that even though I had read the doctor's opinion a gazillion times, I never understood that I had an allergy to certain foods. I never understood that I then had... um, the manifestation of that allergy um, come into the form of an obsession of the mind. I never understood that. So here I am, and now I understand it. And this is great. And Kathy, I forgot to tie myself. I'm sorry. Um, so, so now I have this knowledge, and everything is great. And I'm abstinent, and I'm working the steps, and I, and I get to a place where I am neutral around the food, and it's a miracle. And I'm going along. Happy horseship, no problem. Until all of a sudden, I had this, you know, sudden, unimportant decision, right? And I decided it was okay to have no sugar-added frozen yogurt. But I thought I wasn't being too smart. And I never admitted it to my sponsor. But I knew my problem. So I was okay. I was going to be fine. So once a week turned into four times a week. And the next thing you know, I'm picking up other things. 
they're all sugar-free. They're all no sugar added. I'm fine. Until one day, instead of taking my committed number of sugar-free cookies, I went and grabbed the bag. And you know the rest of the story. So for me, self-knowledge did not work. It failed utterly. And today, my self-knowledge is also balanced with working 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis, rigorously, and working with others. And being connected to a higher power, I never, ever imagined I would have that connection. Never. And uh, it's a blessing today, and it's a miracle in my life, and you guys are definitely a miracle in my life. Thanks for letting me share with you, Pat. Thank you, Morrissey. We have time for one more full share. Who would like to share? This is Anne-Marie M. Renee C. Leah D. Anne-Marie, I heard you first, and I hope the others will stay afterwards. Please go ahead, Anne-Marie. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for your service. This is Anne-Marie M. in um, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Oh, um, the goose hang hung high, and that I can relate to because so many times the obsession of the mind had left me, and um, I did not. I felt recovered. I felt as though I didn't have this problem anymore, and that I was going to help everyone. You know, my ego swelled, and I thought I was going to be the sponsor of the year, Um, and I said I was recovered, and I hung hung on to that like it was a badge, and I ended up going back into the food. The reason being is I was not doing this program. I wasn't living it. I kept on saying I was working it. Every assignment someone gave me, I did. Every reading someone told me to read, I read. I thought I was working the program. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do, and I thought I was living it. But in actuality, it was self-reliance because my ego had gotten so big that I didn't think I needed to call a 10-step into anyone. I thought I could handle it on my own. And before you know it, I didn't think I needed to pray. I had to let that, I let that go. You know, first it was one day, just like the food, you know, it was progressively getting worse, and I was it was more and more reliance on myself. And then I was only doing step 12. And believe me, that doesn't work. So when the goose hung high and I heard someone explain what that is, um, you know, I was there. But without God and without reliance on others and with reliance only on self, um, for me, I know I will go back into the food. So I am determined, um, recovered today, and working 10, 11, and 12. Um, I am so very grateful. I'll pass with that. Thank you, Anne Marie. Um, okay, it is now time to close our meeting. Thank you, everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Hoodie R, would you please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be...
Certainly, Kathy. Am I being heard? Yes. Okay. My name is Hoodie R, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own home is in your, your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.